listening to another episode of Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. This episode captures our panel discussion via Zoom from the last Grace Matters panel. As a reminder, every fifth Wednesday of the year, we meet together, whether virtually or in person, to have a conversation with a panel of guests. This particular week, we met with several guests and had a conversation about contextualization in missions and ministry. I'll introduce these guests at the beginning of the panel discussion, but I was really moved by how well they each articulated some really key components of sharing the gospel. May you be blessed as well as you listen to this panel discussion. All right, so when Paul entered a city, or that in his first letter to the Corinthians, he was writing that he has become all things to all people, what do you think that looked like? Or more importantly, how do you think we can do it and not compromise the message of the gospel? That's what we'll be discussing tonight, uh, contextualization in missions and ministry here with Grace Matters where we're engaging in conversations, establishing believers in the truth. Good evening and welcome. My name is Neil Manning. Uh, I will be your electronic host or Zoom wizard, as I've been told uh, this evening. And uh, before I uh, read a passage and then turn it over to to David, Dr. Calvert will be um, our primary interviewer. We have a great panel, both from within and without the Grace Community Church uh, body. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I do want to read for you this passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul is explaining how he has adapted himself in order to present the unchanging gospel. From chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without that law, like one without the law, not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak, in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some." Now I do this all I do all this because of the gospel so I may become a partner in its benefits. David before I turn you over turn it over to you um, I'll just invite everybody to uh, to join me in prayer. Mm-hmm. Father God I uh, praise you and thank you for the opportunity to gather online and to discuss matters of importance, matters of relevance to your church, to the, to the local communities of faith. I pray that this discussion would be honoring to your name and would be edifying for all those who hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a fun year in so many different ways. Uh, when Neil and I planned to do these particular sessions over the course of 2020, uh, we were looking forward to having conversations in person, but of course, the last panel and this panel are both virtual, and so there will be a little bit of delay and lag in some of our answers as we wait for the 
data to transmit, but we're looking forward to still having good conversation about contextualization in missions and ministry. So our panel tonight consists of Rick Gutierrez, who is a lead pastor at Anthem Church in Anger. If you've driven through Anger, you've passed Anthem Church. And Terry Manahan, who's an elder at Fellowship Bible Church in Fuqua Arena with the Ministry of Preaching there, who's been involved in international church planting. And if you've driven through Fuqua, you've driven past Fellowship Bible Church. And lastly, but not least, we have Gio Thompson and Alea Reynolds. We're both on staff with Campus Outreach uh, at Campbell University. And our church uh, is privileged to have them as members, and we consider them to be domestic missionaries. <laughs> so to start off, we have a definition that we need to establish. Uh, in order to talk about contextualization, we've all got to get on the same page. So, for example, uh, contextualization in a working definition means interpreting an environment within which you're communicating. So contextualization, a working definition, is interpreting an environment within which you're communicating or going to communicate. In some ways, contextualization is related to hermeneutics, you know, the interpretation of texts. What contextualizing does not mean is compromising truth, changing propositions, or giving culture priority. What contextualization does mean is loving the truth, reframing propositions as necessary, and giving the gospel priority. So as we give the gospel priority, loving the revealed truth of God, we have to interpret environments in order to communicate the truth that we love. So for those of us who have some seminary training or have been in really legitimate discipleship training, we know how tough it is to interpret scripture to exegete the word of God, to do the work of interpreting that environment. And in a way, contextualization requires both uh, doing the work in scripture and doing the work in the environment. What is the history of this place in which I'm talking? Uh, what's the history of this family or of this person that I'm talking to? What's their background? What are they wrestling with? So let's ask our panel to elaborate on what it looks like to do this work of contextualizing uh, the gospel. So we have basically kind of three questions that I'll ask in rounds. We'll make the rounds through our panelists who will also be interacting with each other. And then as time permits, we'll have some follow-up questions and room for Q&A. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask, uh, please include that in the chat feature on Zoom, or you can raise your hand uh, and Neil can uh, get you dialed in for asking that question of our panel. But first, I don't have really any order for you guys. So I'm gonna arbitrarily start with Rick. And Rick, how is sharing the gospel in Anger unique? How is sharing the gospel in the context of Andrew, North Carolina, different from Raleigh? Uh, how is it unique to this space? So, demographically, one of the issues you have to look at, so if we're having a conversation about how to contextualize, you have to know the audience, you have to know your demographics. So, in Andrew, uh, for instance, versus Raleigh, 
the main difference is going to be more of a socioeconomic or educational standpoint. So typically speaking, once you get into the RTP area, uh, at least it was the case several years ago, that was the highest concentration of PhDs in the world. I don't know if people knew that. Like uh, in the two earths, we turned the uh, century into the early 2000s. Um, Not so much maybe in Andrew, you know, as far as a high concentration of PhDs. Um, So it does nuance how there or uh, the specific language, the vocabulary, uh, the illustrations that you might use. So I used to be on staff at Apex Baptist. So Apex, North Carolina, pretty much carry Raleigh, same idea. Everyone worked at RTP. So how you carry yourself, how you present yourself, which, how you discuss the, the word choices, it's just different. Um, in Andrew, dare I say, you want to be a little earthier, um, you know, just, just uh, a little bit more laid back. Um, unfortunately, and this is just kind of my perception, right? Like once you get into very inner belt line or just outside the belt line in Raleigh, once you get into like highly educated circles, there's a little bit of pretense, you know, that you have to kind of put on a certain air. Um, you have to walk a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way. In Andrew, you can be way more laid back, you know, way more yourself. And, and so just be genuine. And that's really true anywhere. But I think in Andrew, that is especially the case. Uh, I think people here can sniff out a phony, a fake, uh, a charlatan, uh, someone that's in it for the wrong reasons. They they can spot it, I think, a little bit quicker when no one is just trying to put on those airs. I think that's really interesting given – so I know some of Rick's story. Uh, I'm privileged to count him as a friend. And Rick has said how you know God led him to come back to Andrew to plant Anthem Church. And that was not his first preference necessarily. And yet that's what God did. Like God brought you an Andrew homeboy back here. And in doing so, like you didn't have to, you know, stir up any authenticity. Like you, you're from here. You, you automatically have a credibility in the space that another church planter parachuting in from you know, New York City wouldn't have that kind of uh, credibility in Andrew. That's really interesting. Well, he also has to say that, too, because uh, God brought him back to a former motorcycle shop. You know, his <laughs> That's true. Motorcycle That's shop. I mean, you talk That's about right. earthy. You can't get any more earthy than a motorcycle shop. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Terry, what is it like um, from your experience, having been a, you know, functioning as a pastor here in the States, but also planting churches in, in Asia, and other parts of the world, what is it like sharing the gospel there? How's that different from here, and how is it the same, if, if at all? Well, yes, there, there are some differences, and there are some similarities. I'd say the difference is primarily language, because wherever we go, I've always had to speak through an interpreter. I've been mm-hmm. to Vietnam, I've been to India, I've been to uh, Myanmar, formerly Burma, and in all three of those places, I've had to use an interpreter. So my language, and sometimes the interpreter doesn't always understand the English language as well. Hmm. Uh, most of the time they do, but sometimes there's, there's a lag. 
there's a gap. Sometimes I have to stop in the middle of a message and talk to the interpreter and explain to the interpreter what I mean. Yeah. And so I have to be very careful that I'm not using American t contextualized language uh, when I speak to them. So yeah. lang language is, is, a, is a real difference. Uh, and also the freedom to speak openly. Mm. I, had to, I had to be careful there because I remember in India, I was asked to teach an adult Sunday school class and there were several in the class and I just, I was, I was teaching out of uh, uh, Ephesians 4, I believe it was, or Colossians 3, I forget which one. And I just said, how many of you have been converted out of, the, uh, out of a Hindu lifestyle? Well, afterwards, when I sat down, I was kind of admonished that that's not a question I need to ask. Oh, man. Because... Uh, officially in India, it's in some parts of India, some states, it's illegal to convert from one religion to another. So for me to even ask the question, how many of you Man. have converted from Hinduism to Christianity uh, could have put some people in jeopardy if they raised their hand, because I was also told that there's sometimes the enemy comes into the church services just yep. to observe and, and, you know, see what's going on. So I could have kind of jeopardized. Unfortunately, I didn't, but I could have. So yep. I was cautioned about that. So, you know, in America, I could say, how many of you used to be atheists? You know, <laughs> you know nobody's going to, how many used to, you know, be an alcoholic or whatever. It, but, but I have to be very, much more reserved and be very careful and sensitive to that. I think I had the a similar experience in Cuba when uh, I was there last summer with Bert uh, Wallace and Rand Whitley. Um, and we were cautioned uh, at some of the church services. There may be some folks who are there to report back to the state about the behavior of American missionaries. And so we had to be mindful of that as we navigated the space. And that made for some different kinds of interaction than, than we would otherwise have had here in America. Yeah. Yeah. We even had to be careful exiting the, the meeting place, even mm. though it was known to be a church where, where Christians met, uh, outsiders were not encouraged to come in and do the teaching. Uh, so we were told, okay, once you leave the building, get in the car as soon as possible quickly just mm. no no loitering just get in the car that was in vietnam in india we were told don't don't go walking out in an area where they can look in from the road and see you so, mm. so we had well, to take precautions well what are some similarities then between the similarities is goes you along with what uh, Neil was reading from 1 Corinthians 9, where it says, I became all things to all people that I might by all means win some. So you have to look at, okay, the general demographics of who's your audience. And I see out here, you have predominantly women. A lot of the meetings, there were predominantly women. Uh, hmm. they're, the, they're the more open to spiritual, spiritual matters. So you have predominantly women, you have some men, but depending on the type of service, but uh, a lot of women, 
And then the age, you look at the age. So, okay, I've got gender similarities, men and women. And then I have age. I can look at youth. Okay, a lot of, a lot of youth attend. Uh, when I'm talking about youth, teenager, late teens, on up, 20s. Uh, so, and then you have the, the elderly there. There, So you can speak in terms of age-related related mm-hmm. things, gender-related things, role-related things. You know, if you have church leaders that are there, then you can address from Scripture what their role should be. If you have young men, you, you can address how important it is for the young men to humble themselves and, and learn from the older folks. And, and you yep. can address the older folks and challenge them to be the ones mentoring the younger folks. So those are general similarities that I can address. You know, if I spoke at Rick's church and I'd never been there before, I could, again, assess the same kinds of, kinds of issues there. Men, yeah. women, old, young, uh, different, different roles. Uh, if, if you've got married folks, single folks, we have a lot of single folks, you know, that I address. So there's some different, that's just some similar things that I can apply yeah. from here to there. And then, of course, the gospel message itself. Right. Okay, what does everybody need? Everybody needs to recognize that they're a sinner and they need a savior. Now, right. we may have to do what is sin and, and talk about that. And what is salvation and how, you know, how do you get saved, uh, you know, and what is faith and, and kind of put it in there as much as I know that their context. Yeah. So this would be, a, I think, a distinct difference from what Gio and Alea are doing at Campbell. So, so tell us a little bit from your perspective on staff at Campus Outreach, what is it like sharing the gospel in an in a space that doesn't have age distinction, like everybody's a peer, it's all the same age demographic, um, which is very different from what Terry's described, like similarities and differences being internationally. So what is it like to share the gospel in Bowie's Creek with Campbell students? What's unique about that? What's different about that? Or what's the same? Definitely. I think, um, I think some similarities, um, something that uh, Rick alluded to, I think you think about a college campus, um, you think about students um, who are more laid back, especially at Campbell. I feel like specifically at Campbell, they're very laid back, you know, kind of go with the flow. Um, I mean, you think about a, a university like, you know, North Carolina, it's like you probably have more rigorous students that go there. So, uh, you know, it'd be harder to hang out with those students. So, but I think, you know, a campus like, like Campbell students are, easier to to get around and, and, and kind of hang out and so I think the the difference though is that um, we focus a lot on uh, discipleship and evangelism and so not only are we trying to go and share the gospel but we're also trying to bring students along with us to learn how to do it as well and so I think that's a big difference because you know our students are learning how to share the gospel with their friends and um, and things like that and so Discipleship and, um, and evangelism is a big focus, but I think adding on to that, I think um, it's very communal in a, in a lot of ways. And so uh, a lot of these students are hanging out in group settings and um, building trust. Uh, I, think, I think Rick um, 
mentioned that that's a, that's a big thing for us is how do you build trust? How do you become relatable to someone that they, they trust you to open up about, you know, their life, you know, what um, they've experienced in the past. And so a big thing that is helpful for that is um, asking a lot of good intentional questions for, for individuals. And so, um, yeah, you have anything to add to that? Well, I was going to add that, like, it's important to build trust because we are kind of weird in the sense that we don't go, we're not college students, but we're hanging out with college students. So a lot of times, like, why are you here? Like, well, the first question I get is, are you a freshman? And then right after, after I'm like, no, actually, I'm, I graduated already. And then I tell them that I didn't graduate from Campbell. They're like, so why are you here? And I'm like, I, I want to be your friend. I want to help you. Um, and so, like, just a lot of, like, having to, I guess, like, in a sense, like, de-escalate and, like, make them, like, realize, like, I'm not a weirdo. But I'm just, like, my, like, explaining to them, like, my job is just to help you and be a supportive person. Like, I think... A lot of times when students go to college, they're they're lost or it's just very new. And so it's like it's that is one thing where like I come in and I like just attempt to or I mean, we come in and just attempt to like just be a a safe space or even be like, I mean, well, for me personally, I'm like, I don't know everything about Campbell, but I've learned some stuff. So like I can help you or I can point you to people who can help you and just things like that. So, Gio, you went to Campbell for undergrad. Where did you go for undergrad, Alea? The University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. <laughs> okay, yeah. so so how does Campbell – don't point at that foolishness. Go so ahead, baby. How, do, <laughs> how, how does Campbell compare then to – what are the dis, like differences in sharing the gospel between being at Chapel Hill and being in Bush Creek? So <laughs> I feel like one thing is that like – okay, I'm going to just say it. So I think – Gio kind of alluded to it. It is a little bit easier to hang out with students at Campbell because like Chapel Hill, the thing is a lot of students at Chapel Hill, they're taking really hard course loads and they want to be a part of everything. So they genuinely like, we genuinely don't be having time sometimes. And so it's like, it feels like I'm avoiding you or like that the students like trying to avoid you, but it's like, um, I really just booked my schedule. Like, there's a lot of overachievers. I mean, to be fair, I don't think I was much of an overachiever, but that's the same story for today. Um, so I think, like, at Campbell, um, I don't – like, I feel like it's just – I feel like it's easier to be in community than at Chapel Hill because I just think, like, mm. schedules are just so much more packed at Chapel Hill versus Campbell. But, like – not to say that Campbell students don't take their education seriously. I don't want to make, right. I don't say that. <laughs> but I think that's one thing I've noticed. Um, I think it's also interesting because, like, I think at Chapel Hill, it's, e- it's like, pretty easy to get people to, like, want to go to a sporting event. Right. Where, like, I, I mean, it, like, I feel like students at Campbell still go to sporting events, but I just don't think they're as, like, as big of a deal. And so, right. Because, like, honestly, I went to, like, maybe one football game. But, like, that didn't hinder my history at all. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, like, yeah, I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I think to add on to that, I think, yeah, I think about Campbell is a a Christian school. So, a lot of students have been, you know, cultural Christians that have grown up in the church. And so it's easier to enter into spiritual conversations yeah. <laughs> with those kind of students because they've they've grown up in the church, they've been around church um, for the most part. Um, and Chapel Hill, yeah, you, you got a number of like you do have people who like grow up going to church, but you also right. have people 
who you have like international students who don't even know the, like the name Jesus, or you have students who are like, yeah, um, none of that Jesus stuff. Like I'm an atheist from the jump. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> so switching back to Rick for a second round of questions here. Rick, what do you think are the heart issues for folks living in Anger? What are the, the deep needs that you have exegeted and you're contextualizing to plant a church in Andrew? What are those deep heart things for Andrew folks? Okay. So, um, by the way, I will say Alea is good to know. I'm not the only Tar Heel. So let me just uh, say this, and, and I'm, I'm probably going to be sound a little odd and weird in saying this, but I don't think, from a heart standpoint, there's any difference whether you are trying to contextualize the gospel in Andrew or Harnett County or Wake County mm. or anywhere in North Carolina or pretty much anywhere in North America. I think you really need to go way outside of the culture. I mean, you, you really have to go into some okay. extreme differences. Um, and then your question is specifically about heart issues. And I mean, it really just boils down to a couple of things at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, cause if you're talking about like sharing the gospel with someone who's not a believer, um, it, it really just amounts to the same things. I mean, everyone has fear problems in the world. Everybody has trust issues in the world. Everybody has mommy or daddy issues, you know, past hurt in the world. Everyone's dealing with stress. Um, and, and here in Andrew, it's no different than people in Apex, North Carolina or Wilmington, North Carolina. I and mean, we, we really are dealing with the same art. Some of our vocabulary may be different depending mm. on some, ethnic lines or socioeconomic lines. But at the end of the day, we, we really are wrestling with the same stuff. That being said, I think that the biggest thing that I run into um, increasingly over the years, and it's, it's definitely on the stage right now, uh, is what everyone has really embraced, whether they know it or not. And it's just moral relativism as something that people's heart has grabbed onto. So my truth, I got my truth, you got your truth. Uh, the the abject rejection of absolute truth mm. that that I mean if you really what is the greatest obstacle culturally to the gospel moving forward I think that the rejection of absolute so to to tie it back to the the, the main point of the, the whole conversation tonight contextualizing what that requires us to be is basically experts in in the gospel, I have to be able to teach the gospel in a way, and that's really what contextualization, contextualization is. It's teaching. My job as a missionary, as a pastor, as a Bible-believing follower of Jesus is to teach. I have to teach in a way that connects the gospel to the person's heart. If I can't convey it in language that they can receive it and understand it, then I'm not doing my job as a teacher. So Second uh, Corinthians says, I have to be able to persuade individuals. That means I better know the gospel and the ins and outs of it, like all aspects of it, the fullness of the gospel. So that whether I'm speaking with my four-year-old, whether I'm speaking to a 40-year-old Muslim, whether I'm speaking to a 30-year-old who grew up in the Catholic Church, whether I'm speaking to a 50-year-old who's atheist, has never said in the church, that regardless of who I'm talking to, I can speak the truth into their life, knowing that right now, 
mainly in the culture is this absolute rejection of of absolute truth. I, I mean, I, mm. to me, I think that that moving target is what's making it really difficult for us to push the gospel forward. So if you go back a generation or two, the United States, North Carolina, it was pretty homogenous, right? right? I mean, everyone went to the same schools and it worked. You know, it was just very cookie cutter. So it was really easy to take a very standard, you know, rubric, present the gospel today, here are the three statements I need to say, and present the gospel in that context. It was just, anyone could do it. It was just rote memorization. Right. We can't Romans Road type, you know, those kinds of measures to share the gospel because my neighbor that lives on this side is radically different than the neighbor that lives on the other side of me. And so, and they're holding to different moralities, different, different philosophies, different ideologies. 50 yeah. years ago, whether or not they were believers or not, they kind of believed the same thing, right? So now they're radically different. So I think that the hard work, the, the, the follower of Jesus today is to know the gospel so well that no matter who I can talk to, I can see perception to tie it to absolute truth, to show them that moral relativism, that, that uh, free for all, uh, you know, do you believe what you believe? I believe what I believe is that, that, that they hold any water. Yeah. Well, Terry, then in contrast to that, maybe. Uh, do you think that there were different heart issues in that Eastern context um, in Vietnam and Myanmar and India? Were there, were there different or the same heart issues or both um, for them compared to here in North Carolina? Oh, you're still muted. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, in the long run, the heart issues are the same. In the short run, I don't know what those hard issues are. Hmm. That is, I know, I know everybody uh, has been created by God in his image. I know everybody is a sinner and estranged from God. I know everybody needs a savior, and I know that Jesus is the only savior. Um, what they're dealing with is is a different thing. There's a lot of poverty. Mm. So some people are just trying to eke a living. Uh, I look at the places we've, we've been as a mixture, a blend of first and third um, worlds, primarily okay. third worlds. I say first because they do have technology right. as a cell phone. Uh, I don't think I've ever I've been to anywhere that didn't have a cell phone. They've got cell phones, but yet they have extreme poverty. There, there is uh, the morality is an issue, but what is moral? You know, you can, you know, to one man in India that I've I've been witnessing to, for him to, he's married and has children. For him to fornicate with another woman, he said, my wife doesn't care who I, you know, sleep with. Um, so there has to be some pre-evangelism done 
right. in a lot of these contexts. And that's mm. why that the people that we work with, we're actually just teaching them, giving them a tool so that they can work with their people because they know the heart language. That's good. That can speak to the heart issues of where yep. those people are. Because, see, I don't know the language, and, and it's hard for me to – see, that's one of the limitations that I have with, with the teaching of our material. In America, I can sit down, and, and we can have a dialogue. We can discuss, well, what do you think about that? And they can ask me, would you clarify what you mean here? We can, we can have – well, over there, I, I don't even know what questions they're having. Mm. Uh, a lot of times, they're too timid to ask questions. But anyway, a lot of pre-evangelism has to go on. They have to understand who is God. They have to understand what is sin. You know, the, uh, who was Jesus? And why do they need him? So, and even in America, you've got some college kids who need to know the same thing. You know, that yeah. uh, even though they may have grown up in the church, it's, it, it, we can't assume they have that, that knowledge. But uh, uh, the locals know the issues, the heart issues better than I yep. do. And so I'm ministering to those who are going to minister and share the gospel with their indigenous people. Yep. And that's what we have. We've, we have had that in Vietnam is really booming. They, they've taken our material and they're now teaching it all over Vietnam, especially up in the northern part of Vietnam, where huh. it's more restricted yeah. governmentally-wise. Down in the south, we were able to – we had freedom pretty much. But when you go up to the north, uh, you've got to be a whole lot more careful. Well, these, these brothers, they go anywhere they want to go. Right. And, and they're less restricted than I am. But – but they know the heart issues. But the bottom line is the heart issues of all people is um, how, how am I going to deal with the vanity and the frustration that Ecclesiastes talks about? Vanity yep. of everything's vanity. And, and vanity is universal. The experience of frustration, the experience of expectations not being met, uh, yep. the frustrations with what's my role in life? You've got these young people. We've had these these uh, late teens, twenties. Uh, what am I going to do with my life? I, how am I going to live? I got to get a job. You know, I got I got to serve my. Uh, you know, feed myself or feed my family. Uh, so they're kind of struggling with that, and we have to be careful that part of the gospel is not. Hey, if you believe in Jesus, he'll he'll do all this for you, and he'll make sure you have a job, and you'll yep. be healthy, and you'll be you know wealthy and that kind of stuff is is exploding in Africa, right? Uh, where the top ten most, uh, you know, uh, the richest pastors, uh, you know, are these prosperity gospel people, and uh, you know they're worth millions. That's a that's a side question. I might want to come back to too. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah. about that off. in particular. Oh, that's fine. You're good. Uh, but the heart well, issues, the heart issues are going to be the same. And the limitation is I don't know the heart language. Yeah. And even though our material, and that's why all of our material is translated in the language yep. of, the, of the people. So they have the manual in their language. 
Now in India, there's several languages. So we've had right. it, in, you know, in different languages. Vietnam, there's generally uh, one language, but they're, they are working as they're reaching out to the unreached people groups. They are having to translate the material into those languages as well. So that's being done. So at Campbell then, so we're seeing both internationally and local church planting heart issues are generally the same. So I'm going to assume that's probably how you're going to start your answer is that, yeah, heart issues are the exact same. But maybe if we dial in specifically to this college student season of life, are there any specific like heart issues that you've encountered in sharing the gospel with folks at Campbell? Or again, is it really pretty common uh, to everybody? Um, I think like one thing we were talking about with college students is that a lot of times when you come on the college campus, especially if you not, I want to say especially, but a lot of times if you grew up in the church, um, this is the first time that you're actually experiencing or having to figure out what you actually believe apart from your family, apart from your parents. And so I think a lot of times college students come in, they're like, yeah, my parents, they, they forced me to go to church or they, they always, you know, talked about this Jesus stuff. So now I'm gonna put it on the back burner and I'm, I'm gonna just, you know, be free or I'm gonna do my own thing. Um, and so like having to, uh, I don't know, fight past that. Not, that's not the word I'm looking for, but that's a lot of what, like what you see, like on the college campus. What would you say? Yeah, I think that, that was pretty spot on. And I think um, a lot of what we see as well um, with that, um, I'm blanking. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. thinking about when they're on their own? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, I think that, that's a good point because, you know, they're, they're, this is the first time they, they get to get away from home and think for themselves and figure out what they want to believe. And so this, this idea of them putting it on the back burner is, is something that uh, we see a lot of the times, but I think also along that um, sometimes we see a lot of the students come in and they really want to be, um, you know, a part of uh, spiritual conversations and things like that. But sometimes we see that as an influence of their parents, you know, their, their parents are telling them, Hey, go to church. Hey, do this. Right. College. And so it's like, that's a heart issue because it's like, you're not doing this for your own walk with God. You're doing this to please mom and dad. Um, or you putting in things on, you know, putting your walk with Christ on the back burner. It's I'm trying to get ahead in, in life. And so God can wait for that. You know, I can, I can get right later down the road when I you know have more time. Um, and so we see a lot of that. Um, and I think like a lot of like, because it is like freedom, use that loosely but um I think also a lot of like um like you said cleaning up so it's like oh I'm just doing this now because like I I have time like I'm young I have time and so like I not wanting to engage with spiritual conversations because wanting to engage with like all the things they've heard about like what college is supposed to be like right so like I I mean I had a conversation with like a uh, a freshman this past year and like I like just talking about drinking and like having to explain like drinking in and of itself isn't a sin, but drinking to get drunk and drinking underage because the the Bible also calls us to 
um, follow the law of the land, that's a sin and that's what we need to speak in. Like, that's what we need to get at or continue to talk and dig deeper on. So, right. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting to, to think about how well the Bible has diagnosed our hearts. And in order to contextualize, like Rick was saying, we need to be experts, as it were, in the gospel. Like know the ins and outs of it. Know the ways that God has communicated to us through his word well. And it will be a mirror in which we'll see ourselves. And it will be a way that diagnoses the things that are going on in our hearts and the hearts of the people that we know. Hmm. So when you're sharing the gospel, Rick, and this could be in the context of preaching or in the context of you know, getting breakfast and Andrew, you know, what are, what are maybe three things, if you even have that many, that you would want somebody to hear when you're first telling them about the gospel, when you're trying to make that uh, contextual conversation, what are three things that are, you're really, uh, that are important for you to communicate? Yeah. Uh, d- good gracious. We could spend how many days just on that one question? Like yeah. how many aspects to, to, to truth there are to unravel. Um, I did want to comment on something though from the previous question yeah. uh, that Terry brought up, which, which really, it went along with what I had said that at the end of the day, there's really not much difference, you know, the heart issues and um, what something he mentioned just brought something to mind. So I've been to Haiti, like on seven different mission trips. And um, like the one thing that I I find there that is really hard for me to relate to is hopelessness due to lack of food. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so many times, uh, we'll go, we're sharing with someone and I don't want you to tell me anything about Jesus unless you give me something to eat because me and my kids have nothing to eat today or this week. We don't know how, um, I've seen a hopelessness there that I haven't seen anywhere else uh, because of the very real tangible felt need of, I don't have food and I'm hopeless. I, I've seen people so hopeless that they don't even think they don't think Jesus or God or any religion can help them. Hmm. Um, that's the nuance there here, but it's the same thing here. It's always hopelessness. It may not be in lack of food, but it's something yeah. else. It's, um, it may not be quite as like life threatening, but uh, my marriage is falling apart. It feels hopeless. My kids are getting into trouble. It feels hopeless. I just lost my job. There is no hope. Uh, political turmoil, COVID, civil unrest, uh, at home restrictions, economic shutdown. Do I wear a mask or not? Like, like hopeless. And, and I think that it really, at the end of the day, to speak the gospel into someone's life is to find where it is that they feel a sense of hopelessness and then speak hope there. Mm, um, that's good. And that is universal. Uh, and that's why I say ultimately in the United States, right. we're not dealing with that degree of uh, poverty. Uh, I, there, it does exist here, clearly. Right. But mostly people aren't feeling, I'm not going to eat today. You, you can get food today in the U.S., but you know what I'm saying. To, yeah. to answer your question, um, the gospel is irreducibly complex. Um, That's good. So I think that one one of the, the terrible things that has taken place over the last generation or two is to reduce the, the gospel to something less than it actually is in its totality. Believe in Jesus, uh, you're a sinner, and you'll go to heaven. 
there's truth there, but it is so, that's not enough. Um, So I think first and foremost today, because more and more people are unchurched, let alone unbiblical in their thinking, um, is you got to know that Jesus is God. I mean, if, if, we, if they walk away with that, you, you have taught something. Um, okay. So people don't understand the, that he is fully God, fully man, 100% God, 100% man. You know, the, the, the marriage and the incarnation of divinity and humanity. So number one is uh, the divinity of Christ, um, because that people don't know that, and that's fundamental to the gospel. Um, the other thing is obviously sin. Because uh, we live in a world of moral relativism, and so what is sin? And, and we yeah. can't even make the assumption that if you say the word sin, that people even know what that means, let alone agree right. that there's such a thing and that there is a righteous, holy, just God that's going to hold someone accountable. Right. Uh, that, and then the, the last part would be um, something that I feel a bit missing in a lot of our e- evangelism these days, and that is an actual call to repentance. Um that don't just believe. So, yeah, I, I say this often in my sermons all the time. Um, we're, we're not called to believe just for the sake of belief. The kind of belief, like faith is not just believing. Faith is believing in Jesus to the point that you follow him. So, like, I got a tree right outside this window, right? I know there's a tree there. Okay, so what? Uh, faith, biblical faith is, I know there's a tree there and it's summertime and it's hot. And so I'm going to hang a swing underneath one of his branches and I'm going to sit underneath that swing. I'm going to put my weight on it. I'm going to sip lemonade as I enjoy that tree's shade. That's, that is, I don't just believe it. It causes me to do something. Hmm. So uh, otherwise we're calling people to a weird nominal Christianity believe and it almost, it's almost ethereal. Like, what does that even mean? I, right. I got my get out of jail card. So I think it's a Jesus is God. Sin is real and it's bad. <laughs> and you need to repent. You need to turn your life over to Christ and find, like submit your life underneath the weight of the divinity of Christ. And so if anything, those are probably the three main things that I would. That's good. We're out there right now. So, and I appreciate you clarifying. You know, uh, you guys are hating on my questions, which is fine. I need I need help crafting better questions, but I don't intend by any means to to reduce, like you're saying, uh, the gospel, and because it is irreducibly complex. So that was great. Um, but Terry, do you have th- three non-reducible, but three things that you feel like you want people to hear when you are in, particularly maybe in Vietnam, when you are called to to give training there and you're articulating the gospel what are three really important handholds that you want people to have uh, when you share it that's that's a difficult one um a lot of times i'm dealing with um i'm dealing with mostly believers anyway right but Times when I've been asked to speak to unbelievers, uh, speaking of Haiti, decades ago, when I was still in seminary, I had the privilege of being on a 10-day mission trip down to Haiti, and I was asked to speak at the voodoo capital of the world. I forget where it was. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I had crafted a message that, you know, I, I kind of delivered all throughout Haiti, 
we were at Port-au-Prince and Cape Haitian and different places. And, and I started out like this. There's one question people everywhere are asking. And I said, they're not, they're not asking where can they get food, though I realize that they need food. They're not asking where can they get clothes, though people need clothes. They're not asking, you know, other things. I said, they're asking a question that a man in the Bible asked when he said, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. So that led into telling a story that related to kind of a universal issue here. Right. Uh, I'm glad Rick brought up the, the deity of Christ and the divinity because the Apostle Paul said, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Yeah. And I think that is a message that is missing today. Mm. We've had decades of evangelism that focuses on the God is love theme, and God loves you. Starting back in the 70s when I was converted, you know, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, it's a campus ministry that had this little track that says, you know, four things God, four spiritual laws and things like that. But this whole emphasis has been on God's love. And as I read, as I read through the, the book of Acts, which is what we have to do when we go through our manual, we have to read through the book of Acts. And I did this years ago, read through the book of Acts, and there's one word that doesn't even occur one time in the book of Acts. And that's the word love. And huh. I'm just astounded. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I, I researched all the sermons, all the messages that the apostles right. preach in the book of Acts, and not one time did they mention love. Now, mm. they talked about grace, and they talked about faith, but they never mentioned love or connected it with God loves you and you know, that's why, you know, he loves you so much. He said, Jesus died for you. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying that wasn't the message. But what is the, the message throughout Acts is that Jesus is Lord. Hmm. And you need to submit to him because you're yeah. accountable to him. There is a day in which God is going to judge the world by yeah. the man that he raised from the dead. And, of course, when he went into the resurrection, then they said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to listen to this fellow anymore. That's Acts 17 again. But this whole idea of accountability to the Lord, Jesus who is Lord. So they preached about life, liberty, and the lordship of Christ. And, you know, if... If you want to talk to real college students about what's really life, it's not found in education. It's not found in making a lot of money. It's not found in getting the right partner. It's not found in, in the pursuits of the world. Life is found in the prince of life, Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about real liberty and freedom, and freedom from, you know, habits, freedom from just worldliness, freedom from, you know, um, not having a sense of purpose. 
Jesus is the one that gives true liberty, true freedom. That's the whole essence of the book of Galatians. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so you walk in the, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this whole idea of the lordship of Christ is, is one of the key things that I, that I think needs to be presented today, people, in, in whatever context. Because again, overseas, if you got an idea of Jesus, like I was in India, and our, our host there, uh, uh, we, went in, we went into a house church. They had a meeting in a house church. So we participated in the, in the house church meeting. And it was mostly women. Uh, and, and I noticed that there was a picture of Jesus on, on the wall. But there was also a Hindu god, a picture of a Hindu god, one of their many millions of gods. He was also in the room. And so our host, I pointed that out to the host. Uh, it was the typical Western Jesus, okay? You know, the long right. hair, you know, looking real pretty and all that. Uh, <laughs> and I pointed that out to the host, and he said, listen, you can tell a true believer a true believer is someone who will have a picture of Jesus on their wall, but they won't have any other gods pictured in the house. Yeah. Because what the problem with India is, because they have so many gods, is you talk about Jesus and what Jesus can do for you? Well, sure, I'll take him. I'll just add him to all my other gods. Right. And you know, that's not... That's not far off universally either. Right. People want to have Jesus, but they also want to have their money and their lifestyle and their own doing their own thing and living their own way. But yeah, they'll take Jesus too. So yeah. that element of the exclusivity of allegiance to Jesus, because you see in the context of the book of Acts, you have to understand that when when Paul or and Peter were preaching Jesus is Lord, what was in the back of the minds of the hearers was what well, we've been hearing all this time, Caesar is Lord. And in right. fact, decades later, it would come to, to pass where believers would have to confess Caesar is Lord or get their heads chopped off. Right. And so uh, this idea of Jesus is Lord is that universal message that I want everybody everywhere to know. I'm not, I'm not too sad about my question now because I'm pretty sure you started preaching there and that was all because <laughs> of the question that I asked. So I'm happy about that. Um, but to, to finish out the round, uh, Gio and Alea, are there any things or is there a thing that you, you want students to hear when you first uh, present the gospel to them? Is there a particular theme or idea that you feel like is really important um, when you're communicating the gospel? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, everything these guys just said is kind of hard to, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All of those, but I think, I think one thing, I think a theme we talk about, you know, contextualization. Um, I think um, Terry, um, alluded to it, this idea uh, with, with a lot of students, you know, they're putting a lot of other things before God, whether it's job, yeah. 
accounts, things like that. So really try to emphasize this idea of idolization. Like, what are you, what are you putting, you know, before God in a relationship with God uh, in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, reiterate like a lot of what they, they, they just said as far as sharing the gospel, I think was really helpful in that. I think like also adding, I mean, exactly what Terry said, like Jesus Lord. Cause I think a lot of times like, people want to, um, they want to have a savior, but they don't want, so they want Jesus to save them, but they don't want to follow him or they don't want him as Lord of their life. And so like a lot of times with students, like even thinking about how we, um, when we're talking to them about how can they use their summers to glorify God or how can they, um, when we think about, when we're talking about mobilizing our students that come through the ministry, how um, are you making lordship decisions and how like that are like, yes, in college, the things that you do are going to affect you for the rest of your life. So it's like, how are you putting Christ at the center of your decisions rather than just like, Oh, well, this is what I, this is my plan. Cause it's like my plan when I went to college was not to be on staff at, with the college ministry, yeah. but through lordship decisions, that's where I'm at right now. And so it's like, um, just, I think that's a really big thing of, of just teaching students how to, um, or not, I won't say teach, but like walking through with them of like, okay, are you making this decision out of comfort? Are you making this decision out of, oh, this was my plan or, or did you really take the time to surrender to the Lord and pray and, um, be in scripture? Um, yeah. That's good. Let me just follow up something too that reminded me. You know, again, the the connection that the apostles made in in the book of Acts with with the lordship of Christ was always connected with his death and resurrection. Yeah. So, so that's why Paul would also say, not only do we preach Christ as Lord, but he said we preach Christ crucified. Yeah. So this Lord, this one who is Lord. God himself, Rick, came and he humbled himself and he went willingly to a cross and was crucified on behalf of the sins of his people. So, so it's not only his Lord, but he's also this Lord died and then he rose again. That that's part of the, that irreducible complexity that Rick was talking about. Like you can't, you can't just say Jesus is Lord without continuing to unpack all of the implications of that, you know, and, and how we understand that, that God, the father has exalted him oh, because he humbled himself. And like, so all of it should be necessarily connected together uh, as we begin to share the gospel, even though there might be one or two things we want someone to take away. Those are only one or two things of a immense network of things we would love for people to hear and to obey. Um, and that's ultimately a whole life's work of walking with Christ uh, is learning how to daily repent and how to daily uh, walk in step with the spirit and bear that fruit. So yeah, it is irreducibly connected. Like even though we might have one or two things, they're all still kind of networked together. Um, so Neil is asking now through the chat uh, to see if there are any questions from the folks who have joined us. Um, I have a couple of things I can follow up with and Neil may have one or two questions as well, but um if we have any questions from those who are watching, we will float those now. I've actually got one. Uh, 
Go for it. Terry, I uh, really enjoyed uh, when you got into the preaching. That, that was good. <laughs> holding on to the, uh, the person and work of Christ. Um, so I've, I've heard good equipping answers to this question, and now I want practical doing answers. So we've been equipped this evening to know the gospel. Uh, one thing in order to contextualize ourselves with our audience is to know the gospel inside and out broadly and deeply, and then also to, to build bridges with people and not to build walls. Um, so thinking very practically, very much about the, the normal Christian in Northern Harnett or Southern Wake County, what is, and this is for all of you, what is a, an action or a thing that we can do to help contextualize ourselves with someone that we may come across without compromising the truth of the message of the gospel? Well, I'm going to jump right in here and I'm going to show you a little uh, manual that we've developed. This is God's plan for his disciples. This was developed as the sequel to God's plan for his church. God's plan for his church is the manual that we use for the church leaders and the pastors and the church planters. But our brothers in Vietnam, after they were putting this into practice, they were having their converts. And then they said, okay, what do we do now with our converts? So what we develop is God's plan for his disciples, which is a 13, I think it's got 13 lessons in here. Uh, uh, yes, 13 lessons that are just basic Christianity, basic biblical uh, helps, practical application of what we've been talking about, how to contextualize the Bible, because there's even a lesson, early lesson on how to study the Bible for yourself. But it talks about baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper and uh, the Holy Spirit and walking in uh, the Spirit, uh, your life with Christ, your life in Christ. So these, this is just basic, and we found that once you understand this, it's, it's not hard then to have that equipment inside of you just bubbling over about who God is and who Jesus is, and then that just kind of overflows into you opening your mouth and telling others. That's a plug. And, I, and I'll be glad to give anybody a copy of this who wants one. You just, uh, free of charge, let me know. And we'll include a link uh, to that in the podcast uh, write-up, as well as um, in our follow-up for our Grace Community folks. We'll include links to some resources. Rick or Gio or Alea, if you come back, do you have an, uh, an answer to, to Neil's question? I think I'm muted. Oh, oh go ahead. Good. Who's going? I can go. Or you can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to ask. So the, the original question is just uh, practical steps. Is that, is yeah. that? Okay. I think things that come to my mind as far as um, practical steps in which I think not only, you know, us that are in leadership positions to do ministry, but I think the everyday Christian, I think a practical step in being able to 
put yourself in a position to share the gospel, to, uh, you know, do things like that. I think one is, I think, inviting people into your life. I think that's, that's a, a big um, um, step that I think is, is super helpful when you can invite someone into your, your life, into your house, to see your family, um, and to see how you live. I think, you know, we can, we can share the gospel, uh, which, you know, God, God allows us to use that to, um, you know, bring people to this kingdom, but also a way that we do that is in the way that we live out the gospel. And so if we are inviting people into our house, they get to see the, the gospel lived out, you know, first of all. But I think also something that is also helpful is, is getting on other people's playing field, quote unquote, this idea of entering into other people's spaces and seeing how they live and asking them questions about who they are and their lives. And it, I think it shows a genuineness of, Oh, they really want to, to know me. That's, that's how I came to be a Christian. One of the guys um, who is now my, one of my best friends, he entered into my space and he, he wanted to know about me and he was very genuine about it. And I could tell that there was a difference there. Um, because of his genuineness to to really get to know me. And so I think those are two, I think, big things. And just making that practical is, is, you know, inviting people into your life, even if, you know, you know, the light, your life is a mess on the day-to-day, you know, uh, scale. But I think inviting people in to see how you live out the gospel day in and day out, but also entering into other people's spaces um, and and knowing who they are. So, yeah. I think that's interesting uh, coming from you ministering to college students. Uh, my experience, however long ago it may have been uh, as a college student, uh, was very much like that's the season in which you can much more easily enter into somebody else's space. And you'll, you'll invite people into your space because so much of those sh- spaces are communal. You've got roommates or the, the idea of roommates is so pervasive that like you're, you're able to cross those thresholds so much easier um, into other people's spaces and, and create those environments as a homeowner in a, you know, a, a neighborhood that's pretty suburban, like it's a lot harder to, uh, a, to invite people into our spaces because, um, it is a mess most of the time. <laughs> My wife is a phenomenal homemaker, but we have four ridiculous children. And so it's, it is a mess that we invite people into when we do invite them, but it's also hard to go into their other people's spaces like it's been great during quarantine to see some of those barriers broken down because um, families are, are tired of being shut in. So like kids are interacting more in our neighborhood than they have in the past, which has been awesome, which has then created space that crosses over. It allowed us to, to get into knowing people a little bit better than we would have otherwise. But in the suburbs, man, like you, you've got your yard and this is your space. And like to get into that takes intentionality which can be scary and so i appreciate that encouragement geo like i need to hear that and be reminded that i to share the gospel to contextualize i've got to i've got to be okay walking over and knocking on the door (laughs) yeah offer to buy them coffee or you got a coffee shop right down there from campbell there buy coffee or a meal you know uh uh, college kids love free food so Everybody loves free food. Hospitality was one of the big keys, I think, in, in the gospel, uh, yeah. doing that very thing. We, we cook a Well, I won't say you. I cook a lot for students. <laughs> and I like, or just like, 
take them somewhere and I'm like, it's on me. And they just like, Oh my goodness. I love you already. <laughs> yeah. And you got to think about it. That's what, you know, that's what Jesus did. You know, they broke bread together. That's how you yeah. able to have conversations and, you know, get to know people. Something about food just brings, yeah, people, together. brings people together. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. Am I, am I muted or am I good to go? Very good. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in on Neil's question there. Um, practical. I think there is a, a danger to make complicated than they really are or unintentionally to make things sound more complicated than mm. they really are. Mm. So, um, for instance, like, and, and this is just my specific church context, right? So I would never preach a message where I would say the term, uh, you all need to be on mission and you need to contextualize the gospel in your life. Because I've already lost, lost most of the people just by using the word contextualization. I have to yeah. define it, explain it, reference it, illustrate it, et cetera. Uh, what I tell the people, quite honestly, if you know enough, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share. And, and it's just simple. It's just mm. trust the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he gives us the opportunity to speak, to teach, to share. Mm. And, and so sometimes I think we can make it clear. People are already intimidated to witness, to evangelize, et cetera. Um, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can make it sound a little extra scary. Uh, yeah. So that, that's one thing I think it's practical to is um again i've spent most of my missionary trips in like in a couple of organizations that i've worked with there is that did we lose the feed no okay i don't think so went black for a second okay i'm sorry um that one thing that i was always fascinated by is they're always digging their wells they're always searching for well and uh, so they travel around and, and they use it as a way to, to create a, uh, build a church there, lies and start a church there, church plant. And so when we church planted Anthem years ago, I specifically, specifically told the church plant are wells. Where are the wells that need to, that we need to specific in Andrew? What are, what are those? Hmm. And I really do hate using this phrase, but what are the felt needs um, right. you know, what are the specific places where there are needs in the community that we need to speak into or assist, be available, help? And we did that as a church, but I think that we need to do that as individuals. In our life, God gives us a very specific sphere of influence. Like Ephesians 2 says, hey, there are works for us that he prepared for us yep. beforehand. Yep. So we just need to pray and be in the sense of I need to be active. So like for me personally, I coach soccer every fall. I've done it like for five or six years. Um, I've served on the board for the chamber of commerce in Andrew for six years. I served on, I'm currently serving on an advisory board for a downtown um, uh, town board. I've served on a school board for a local school. My wife has served on one of the school boards. Um, I've helped out with the, the food pantry, etc. I've done that in the past. So I'm just always looking for ways to be a missionary. Like I'm vocationally a pastor, but my call to be a missionary. That's, that's my primary calling as it is the mm. primary calling of any, of any follower of Jesus. Yeah. 
be up my time, but quite honestly, I'm 50% pastor, 50% missionary, and the church knows that, and that's how I operate. So I would just say, practically speaking, read the Bible, pray, trust the Holy Spirit, don't make it more complicated, be yourself, be sincere, know the truth, just share what you know, but you have to be intentional about just being around some people, which is tricky during COVID days, and, and that that unfortunately has you know, maybe slowed how much we have been able to be with others, but somehow that'll lift. And, and, you know, at least you do have neighbors, you have family members, other folks to just be intentional, just make yourself available. Um, I did say a while ago that we should be experts, but I will say this, that God is more likely to use someone that's just simply humble and willing to be yeah. used. I'm just a great expert in the gospel. So, right, right. um, yeah, there's a lot of paradoxes in Christian faith in that way. Like you're when you're humble, that's when you're lifted up. You know, when you uh, die, that's when you live. And in some cases, when you're the most simple, that's when you're the expert uh, when it comes yeah. to sharing the gospel. Yeah, and I think another, another uh, aspect of all of that is the ability to listen. I think we want to be intentional to listen, uh, to get to know the person. Uh, if you're going to speak into the context of that person's life, you have to know what the person feels and what yeah. the person is thinking. So listening and asking questions, I think, is one of the, one of the best ways. to. There's, there's an observation that you have to do and the gathering of information before you can come to conclusions about people. So uh, the intentionality is when I meet somebody, I want to listen and really sincerely listen and not listen with trying to formulate an answer already, but listen to really understand that person and to know where that person is coming from, where that person has been and, so that you can be a part of entering into that person's world. So yep. listening and answering questions, I think may be another practical way of yeah. answering Neil's question. Yeah. The, the, a biblical way of illustrating what Terry just said is just Nehemiah. So Nehemiah knew what needed to mm. be done. He had to build yeah. a wall, but he first went there and went around and around the city and surveyed the landscape. And I think sometimes well-intentioned missionaries and evangelists, we, we could run into a person and build that wall. Well, first of all, you got to walk around that city for a while. I mean, and it's just what Terry was saying. Just get to know yeah. them. You know, yeah. they're not a project. They're a person. That's good. Well, we have reached uh, our time limit, even past it a little bit, which is great. I love when we have good questions and good discussion on our panel. And this has been great to have a panel of both folks, as Neil alluded to earlier, from the outside and the inside of Grace Community Church. Uh, we're grateful for the sister churches that are around us um, in our community that we know are preaching the gospel. Um, so thank you guys all for taking time to sit down and think through what it means to contextualize the gospel. And I think uh, and a theme that's kind of come out to me is that uh, as much as we might contextualize for specific individuals, we're also, uh, we're broadly answering the same heart question that all of us have. 
the same need that all of us have uh, for Jesus. Amen. Amen, brother. As we uh, consider wrapping up, um, David, do you want to go over any resources that uh, maybe our panelists have recommended and we could put out either links or names uh, even on the podcast links? Yeah, well, I'll follow up with uh, a couple of things that uh, Terry had talked about. Um, one was uh, newfoundationsinternational.org. That's the website that is host for the manuals that he mentioned briefly, a manual both for church planting and revitalization, and then a manual for discipleship. They've developed, uh, him and several other pastors and missionaries have worked on this together. Uh, we also looked at some, we talked about several uh, resources for apologetics and um, there's other methods for sharing the gospel. So I'll link some of those things a little bit later as well. Um, I've been uh, impacted generally by the work of Tim Keller and more specifically in uh, the reason for God and then center church and thinking about how to contextualize uh, in the areas that God has put me. Um, I've also been uh, really influenced by uh, a book called Living at the Crossroads by Michael Goheen and Craig Bartholomew. It's a book about worldview. Um, this is another book by Tim Keller that's kind of a, a version of uh, Reason for God called Making Sense of God. That's also great. Um, both of these, uh, both Making Sense of God and uh, Living at the Crossroads can potentially give some tools for listening well uh, and then uh, knowing ways to articulate the gospel and what it has meant. Uh, once you know what someone's worldview is, once you understand what it is they're aimed at, what it is that their heart loves, those kinds of things. Um, those have all been uh, meaningful resources for me. And so, yeah, I'll link those things in the podcast write-up and we'll post this on the Grace Matters uh, site as well. Terrific. Thank you, David. Thank you, uh, Alea, Gio, Rick, and Terry for uh, joining us and sharing uh, the time and insights and experience that you've had. Uh, pray God would bless the work of your hands that you do each and every day. And thank you for equipping us for the work that the Lord has called us to. Well, folks, until next time, which is uh, September, the end of September, we'll have our next Grace Matters. I hope to see you then. I look forward to following up with each of our panelists to pick their brains a little bit more on their specific context. But I love how I was challenged to think more deeply about the consistent and common things between all people who are made in the image of God. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.